Have you ever been naked? Today, we are talking about privacy. <laughs> that was a hell of an intro. Yeah, I just made it up I've right now. I've actually never been naked. Very good. You've yes. never been naked? Uh, that's wild. Okay, well, welcome. We are three bucks, one mic. I'm Tom Buck Fogarty. And then um, this is Zane Bally. Zane Buck Bally. Okay, and then I'm Fahad Butt. The last buck. Right. And today, yeah, we're going to be talking about privacy. And if you need privacy online, what do you do? Do you guys know what to do? Have you ever been in a situation um, so in I which... Mean, I know everyone's run-of-the-mill run-in with privacy is the terms and agreement. They check whenever they create an account. Right. And depending on whatever site you're using, whether it be like your bank or like social media, they take different data. But somewhere in there, there's some bubble text talking about privacy and how your data can be used. That's in the technology paradigm. There's other ways we can look at it in terms of uh, what personal information from your life can be shared, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, uh, cookies, a lot of uh, websites mm -hmm. and social media companies will keep the data of how many times you've clicked or what you've looked up. Um, internet providers in general will keep data on that, which is why a lot of people recommend you get a VPN. Mm -hmm. A uh, virtual portal network, that is. Yes, sir. So what is um, your go-to virtual portal network that you use? Are there any free ones? How does one get access to the virtual portal network? You have to subscribe to a lot of them. There's this one called Virtual Shield that I know of, yeah. um, and I'm not plugging Virtual Shield. I don't use a VPN, uh, mostly because I, I try to stay away from... Um, stuff on the internet, but I mean, to be honest, really, it's only if you um, don't like it if people share your data, uh, which with me, it's not that uh, I don't um, I don't love it that companies share my data, but I'm not willing to pay money for a subscription to a VPN. Mm -hmm. uh, so unfortunately, really, they're, you got to subscribe to a lot of them. You got to pay money. Yeah. So I know in Saudi Arabia, some of the services that are popularly <coughs> used in the U.S. are blocked. Um, like WhatsApp calling to the U.S., that's blocked. Right. Um, calling, um, I mean, you can call WhatsApp calls between people from the same country. and Like um, Saudi WhatsApp users can call other Saudi WhatsApp users. But Saudi WhatsApp users cannot call the U.S. So I struggle to talk to my family via WhatsApp. And it's a lot easier for me to talk to them uh, via Facebook Messenger. So if I ever want to talk to them via WhatsApp, what I use is I just um, go into the App Store, click VPN, and um, I download a VPN. You can download, there are a lot of free ones, uh, but the most, uh, I download probably the most basic one out there. It's called like VPN Master Lock. The icon's like a, it's like a green key or a blue key, or there's one of each of them. Anyway, uh, the purpose of that is to have your IP address uh, outside of the country. So it appears, so what, ha what happens is that your, your, your computer, it sends your information to the internet service provider, then from the internet service provider, it sends it through like the giant tube of um, connections that go like underneath the Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. And it goes to the other internet service provider in the other country. And then um, from there, it goes to the other person's computer, mm -hmm. right? So what uh, a VPN does is that it from 
So your computer sends information to the internet service provider, and that internet service provider then sends the information to some outside source in another country, and then that basically cloaks your internet data and gives you an IP address of whatever country you select to have your VPN be in. And then afterwards, it sends it to the internet service provider of the uh, of the person you're trying to reach, and then it sends that to their phone. Mm -hmm. hmm. So, uh, if you want to have a very high caliber uh, VPN for free, check out the Tor browser, T O R. So Tor browser stands for the Onion Router. So it's like a VPN, but it's on steroids. It uh, bounces your internet location a bunch of different site a bunch of different locations around the world and mm. although it makes your connection slower because it bounces your connection around the world and going around the world is not very quick uh, it's worth it in the sense that it's a lot harder to track what you're what you're doing online and as a result you can access sites that would otherwise be blocked in uh, whatever country you're in like for example in Pakistan YouTube is blocked like you can't access YouTube unless you have a VPN. So everyone has a VPN. Everyone knows how to use a VPN. But a lot of people in the U.S. don't need to use a VPN. Or actually everyone in the U.S., they, they don't need to use a VPN unless you're doing something illegal. Um, and if you... Yeah, why, why else would you need to use a VPN in the U.S.? Well, that's the thing is... Uh, yeah, you want to you wanna cover your privacy. Right. If you just... It's not necessarily if you're doing something illegal or if you're doing something that you're worried companies will be able to worry to, um, to use against you. It's just a matter of you have information and you don't want people uh, to be seeing that information because, I mean, it is a, a matter of vulnerability. I mean, somebody could take that information and have a, uh, a, num a bit of control around you. I mean, imagine... Imagine you happen to find an edgy meme and you retweeted it, mm -hmm. you know, like Facebook or Yo, Twitter. Yeah, but that's Twitter. Like. Right, right. So whatever you do on Twitter, your internet service provider is going to know what you did on Twitter. Your, um, if you work for a company, whatever, comp like your boss is likely is going to have access to whatever you're doing on, uh, on your company's server, on your company's computers. Um, as well as uh, Twitter, the company itself, they're going to know what, right. what you're doing online. Uh, not to mention that a VPN, it allows you to bypass. I already said this, but like, I just want to make it clear that a VPN, you don't really need it in the U.S. because there's, no, there's not really any websites that are blocked in the U.S. But yeah. around the world, there, there are websites, and right. there are quite a few websites that are blocked. So you, you just use that in order to bypass that. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it has, it has usefulness and uh, more profound uh, use in a lot of other countries. Uh, people from China have also told me that they uh, use it over there as well. Because uh, there's a lot of websites and things that are blocked, uh, but in the United States, it's a matter of we take our privacy very seriously, and we want a lot of us just want to be left alone. We really do. Mm -hmm. And so, when it comes to um, what we do on the internet, we don't want that to be advertised and shown to everyone and everywhere. Especially when it comes to them taking that data and selling it to something like Cambridge Analytica, and then. But the that wouldn't be the government. That would, like, just to be clear, that wouldn't be the government selling your data to companies. But oh, rather, not at all. it would be just one company selling your information to another company. Right. So the again, the big player is not the government in the United States. The big player is corporations. Corporations such right. as. Uh, such as you know Facebook, Twitter, 
um, internet providers like Comcast, Google, Amazon, Google, Snapchat. Amazon. Yeah, yeah. These are these are all big multi-million-dollar corporations, and they're it's really them we have to watch out for when we're online, not necessarily the government. I mean, well, not with, yet at least. But with that information, mm -hmm. what do they do? What's the implications of them having that information? Um, they so just send you better advertisements. Like, um, <laughs> it's so not really that big of a I'm deal. I'm reading from this article, PC Mag. It says some who's data it? isn't being used yet. So. Who's, it, who's it written by? Uh, da, 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 we da, always want to have uh, give credit, and we don't want to plagiarize. Eddie, October tenth, twenty eighteen, at eight a.m. And it's titled "How Companies Turn Your Data into Money." And uh, one of the main things we just mentioned is targeting and retargeting. So using your face your social media engagements and your um, browser history um, I'm gonna give some metrics for the, the social media so they use like shares likes conversions comments mentions and impressions and most importantly clicks so what is leading your attention what do you click on what captures your attention uh, another one outside of ads um, is uh, 23andMe, like the gen genetic information. It's I just got my 23andMe information uh, back to me just yesterday, actually. Yeah, so it's not used yet, but it can be. Um, and that is, um, when, when it comes to healthcare, you think about it, um, one of the main things is if you have a pre-existing condition, pre condition uh, they don't count that in your medical insurance. And if, uh, the, uh, say, an insurance company got it, a hold of your uh, medical genetic information that they could use that as grounds of charging you higher because you might have a uh, um, gene set that makes that, you pretty that disposed to Alzheimer's. Predisposed to Alzheimer's, which is a really destructive and expensive disease. So I mean that's one way in which um, your data matters and how it's being handled and why we aren't why we aren't talking about it as much. I think is very important. But when you I know that there's this one law that uh, 23andMe <coughs> is not allowed to sell that information to really anyone. Yeah, no, not at the moment. Th there's this one law. I forgot what the name of this law is. It's called like the Genetic Information Non-Discriminatory Act or something, something along the lines of that. Basically, insurance companies are not allowed to discriminate uh, based on... Is it genetic information? There's that, and then 23andMe. Mm -hmm. When you sign the forms or whatever, they tell you that they're not going to sell your genetic information to anyone, and they just use that data in order to research, um, research whatever they're curious about. And they have people working on that, and I mean, um, I mean, they have scientists working with yeah, the genetic yeah. information. So I just have a article pulled up here on Forbes by Nicole Martin: How DNA companies like 23andMe are using your genetic data. And it talks about a $300 million deal with between 23andMe and GlaxoSmithKline. For those of you that don't know, that is the, one of the largest uh, pharmaceutical companies in the world. And they are coming through 12 million Americans' DNA. <coughs> uh, it includes spit and tube DNA to Wait, other did, How did they get access to this um, genetic information? You, you send that in. Yeah, if you so sign up, you have to send in 23andMe, you spit into this tube, you send it to them, and then they use that to analyze your... Yeah, uh, but so how, so did, how did GlaxoSmithKline so get access to so, that? So um, part of that, but that I agree to terms and conditions right in there right. that I referenced at the beginning of it, that's how they got it. They We checked the box because we didn't read through the whole thing, and somewhere in there, 23andMe said we can use uh, whatever genetic data... Uh, you've given us um, genetic material in order to not send it to insurance companies, but rather to further research and 
for genetic drug research in this instance. But we, yeah. I uh, mean, I'm not. I don't have. Do we really have a problem with that? I mean, how else are you going to have massive amounts of, like, um, information in order to conduct research with? It says right here, when you sign up to share your DNA with Ancestry, you opt in for informed consent research. However, you do have the ability to opt out. So I think to what I was referencing to what I said earlier in answering your question, Bahad, I think that, um, yes, it does matter because what if, I'm, I'm just saying hypothetically, what if um, they companies were allowed to charge you for pre-existing conditions? You would then have a higher rate of insurance that they could justifiably say, Oh, we can charge you this much because. But there's I'm a law that prevents you that prevents companies from doing and that. And wouldn't they love to at least uh, modify that law, lobby that law when something comes up? Damn. See, my concern with it, I don't, I don't know enough about this in the context of pharmaceutical companies or insurance. But my concern is primarily uh, when it comes to the political lens with this, especially considering the nation's uh, polarized. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, I'll talk about sort of the watershed moment with all this, which was the Cambridge Analytica scandal with mm -hmm. Facebook, in which over 70 million users in the United States uh, had their data sold to Cambridge Analytica uh, without their consent. And it was utilized in order to push certain political campaigns. In particular, there was uh, Ted Cruz's campaign. So I, I think when it comes to those advertisements, um, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it was just used for advertising. It wasn't really yeah. used for used against them. Right. But considering the fact that people spend a, so much of their time online, that advertising has an effect on people. And it essentially, does. if you're able to filter what people see online, you can have a good um, outline of you know what people are going to think. You can have a, an effect on what people are going to think. And so it's not just advertising. Uh, to get into it more is I would talk about a lot of what Google and YouTube do in controlling searches mm -hmm. and with the algorithms that will ban people for expressing certain viewpoints. And Twitter talks um, suffers from this problem as well. So I'll start with Twitter. Um, a that, few months ago. That uh, Tim Pool right, episode. Yeah, where Tim Pool was on with Jack Dorsey and he went on which into... which podcast? Joe Rogan Podcast. That's right. Mm -hmm. Joe Rogan Podcast. And he essentially rips into Jack Dorsey for striking all these people and banning these people for seemingly um, uh, seemingly offensive things but you know there's a lot of double standards that are uh, filtering into it and a lot of that um, in Poole's estimation had to do with this sort of uh, this massive liberal bias that exists in Silicon Valley which is something actually Mark Zuckerberg also has addressed and is that there is a very big liberal bias in Silicon Valley so then you have other stuff like with Google where Google said that they really want to help to shape the 2020 election and so Google essentially they have control over when you do a Google search, they're going to be able to determine what sources are going to come up first and what sources you're going to look at. Okay. Uh, um, with, with that being said, okay, just hold that thought. Sure. Zane, I want you to go right now, go on Google. Sure. Okay. And Google the term American inventors. And I want oh, you to. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know what's going to come up. I want you to tell me what you see. Yes, uh, this is fascinating for me because uh, I didn't know history could change so rapidly. American inventors. Yeah. Um, and what is represented, folks, is just one example of how algorithms might be catered to a um, predisposed idea of its engineers. I've got Thomas Edison from okay, yeah, left that to makes, right. Okay, that makes we sense because one, we all know that like Thomas Edison, yeah. okay, he invented the light bulb. 
but the rest that follow are a bunch of African Americans, and I am not against that because we've got a wonderful, diverse history of inventors. But it does seem to be yeah. Where's Nikola Tesla? Yeah, it does. He's seem not American to be, though. Uh, he was not an American representative American. of you know all the other. Here we got Bill Gates right here, George Eastman. Is there Benjamin Franklin? One could say that the engineer writing this. Can you go left from thought. left to right and oh, yeah, uh, just mention them so that way our listeners can hear and understand what you are seeing yeah. right now? Lewis, Howard Lattimore, uh, Latimer, Garrett Morgan, George Washington, not the white one, the black one from 1864 to yeah. Oh, George, isn't that George Washington Carver? Yeah, uh, he invented peanut butter. Elijah, Elijah McCoy, Madam C.J. Walker, Alexander Graham Bell, Lonnie Johnson, Wasn't Patricia Alexander Bat. Graham Bell like a president at one point? Um, no. He was. Uh, he invented the telephone, more or less. Um, Thomas L. Jennings, Granville Woods, Patricia Bath. Um, we got Jan Erst, Matt Zilliger. Yeah, there we go. Samuel Morse, um, Frederick McKinley John, Norbert Relics. That okay, I so, Whitney. so okay, what, what's the Okay, they do have Tesla further down. Wonderful. But yeah. the main point is that overwhelmingly it's African-American people, which yeah. is not an issue per se, but yeah. it... It's more it's to the logic that they've been historically underrepresented. So where best to find inventors and overrepresent in this case? It's a corrective action uh, taken by Google, if you would agree. Wait, say it again. So like it's these are historically underrepresented. If you were to turn to a textbook in the 1950s or 60s, you're not going to see a single black inventor. You're not going to see a single black inventor. So Google's logic is we now we're going to overrepresent them um, as just the top hits right here. Just uh, to balance that equation, so to speak. Um, all of this, of course, shows many links. Um, Emmett Chappelle seems to. Oh yeah. Is there any issue with that? Like overrepresenting, um, like like telling you who's like the most famous American or who's the most prominent American inventors, based on. Um, no, I, I right think word? I just think the point is that. Um, there are engineers behind these algorithms, and it demonstrates how this... That they're modifying your search. How it right. affects what we see. If Let's say and I was going to... It affects our perceptions of reality and our affects our perceptions of history. Absolutely. So right. what if I was interested in the First Amendment, right? For example, and I put in hate speech, which is a very contested thing nowadays, but you focus on the extremes when there's a very rich history of what fighting words, that's the official doctrine, mm -hmm. um, what fighting words is... Because if misgendering someone is considered hate speech, that is uh, extreme compared to an example 10 years ago. And I, I think now patently absurd. Because um, misgendering is not too bad, in my opinion. And it would make it. It could appear. cause emotional harm to people. But that's the thing. I think that's silly. That's, a, that's a whole other discussion. To yeah, be yeah but right. The main point here is that as a result of. Remember when like Google used to be like a machine and not not so human right yeah. that you could like type in anything and you would actually find out what you like what the machine would tell you not what pol like a political agenda would want to tell you mm -hmm. right well and so I'll expand this to YouTube um, specifically YouTube <coughs> a lot of people have been banned and a lot of people have uh, their videos have been demonetized because of these algorithms and it's a, a lot of it um Prager University, of course, has actually sued Google uh, over the scandal that has erupted 
over the their videos being stricken. Uh, they had a video about why why black fathers matter, and that video was stricken because you know it, it didn't fit into their algorithm mm -hmm. of what doesn't constitute you know hateful stuff. And when I watched that video, it really is relatively. There's nothing racist about it. There's nothing hateful about it. There's nothing that's an encouraging genocide, and yet that video that got struck in a moment. Talk about what what was it talking about? Like be objective. Right. What do you think was the reason that that video was taken down? Well, I think the video was taken down because it didn't fit with the narrative that Google subscribes to. Okay, fine. But I'm, I'm talking a bit more specifically. Was there any phrase in it that you think was a bit problematic? What was the what was the mm. conflicting claims? So if you're asking me to put myself in the in the position of Google. No, I'm asking you. Uh, you want me to play what? devil's advocate? You want me to argue why it might have what might be a legitimate reason that could be taken down? Yeah. Well, if I were to put myself in their shoes and argue from their perspective, I would say it's because it essentially blames the lack of fatherhood for the resulting inequity we see when it comes to uh, race in America. And somebody from, if I were somebody from Google, I would vehemently oppose that and say, no, it's because of systematic racism. It has nothing to do with fatherhood. And so this claim that it is because of fatherhood is threatening uh, because it essentially seeks to muddy the waters. And they might try to label it, label it as something along the lines of victim uh, shaming or something like that. Because uh, left-wing journalists have done that. They've seen whenever a right-wing person refers to the lack of fatherhood in, in black communities and the out-of-wedlock birth rate, that is seen as victim-blaming. And really, I think that is, a perp in my <coughs> mind, a purposeful attempt to muddy the waters in honest conversations about uh, inequity between white people and black people. But that's, once again, another, um, another topic. The point is that it was a view that more and more we're getting into the place where opposing viewpoints are now seen as dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, that's why they're being taken down because there really is a, a danger that people feel like that these videos is where radicalization begins and mm -hmm. this is where the alt-right finds its roots. I mean, but you, you take a look at ISIS, for example. They had a bunch of um, recruitment videos. They had a bunch of propaganda that was effective Mm -hmm. Okay, and that, and and that propaganda and a lot of their media, um, was taken down from YouTube. Absolutely, and obviously, and it should I'm, be. right. That should be, but I mean, there is a fine line between ISIS propaganda and you know, saying that there's a problem with the lack of fatherhood in the black community. Okay, okay, but is or is that sex? Is, there are biological differences between the sexes, like that. Okay, but is there really is that really a, is there really a fine line? I, yes, absolutely. Because look, like if you're able to take down the media of one viewpoint, um, you should theoretically be able, like, it should be ethical to take down the media of, take down the. Uh, what's the word? Take down the media of another person's viewpoint that you don't agree with. But see, this is where. What's the difference between ISIS and? It's the difference is the substance of what right. they're communicating. So and yeah. this is this is where you get into it because it used to be more or less that we could still respect each other's viewpoints There's even though we disagree. But now it's fast turning into, especially as twenty twenty comes around, anyone who departs from my viewpoint is automatically on the same level as Hitler or ISIS. Okay, but what about? Um, 
uh, mall capitalism and mall free market. Oh, my favorite. I don't know these. I love this argument. So mall free markets, so yes. So mall free market is the idea that uh, corporations are free to censor whoever they uh, want to censor. Because after all, it's a corporation, it's not a government. They can choose to promote whatever content that they choose to uh, promote. So, what what is the problem though when all of them all in lockstep do it together? Don't don't you think that influences norms? Like right. And so here's where I would get into, and this is why you know I I depart from libertarianism heavily in this regard, especially when people argue over net neutrality, is there is such a thing as externality in economics. Yes, there's, a, there's an effect that a third party feels that is not compensated for uh, by either the buyer or the seller. Right. And I think with this one, the clear externality is what this does to pollute political conversations, what it does to uh, disenfranchise and even in a lot of cases radicalize people on the right, and what it does to tear up the social fabric and screw up the conversations that Americans are trying to have about politics. So I think... There is an externality uh, that is apparent. Whether or not it's appropriate enough that the government should intervene is a different question. But the fact is, you saying, well, companies are free to do this or that, it doesn't make it right. I mean, if somebody were to uh, bully somebody else on the playground, you wouldn't, in response to the bully, say, well, you know, you're free to do that because you have a First Amendment right to say whatever you like, therefore I can't criticize you. No, that's that's not it at all. You're making, you're not separating between the moral realm of what should be done and the political realm of what the government has the authority to do. So you need to separate the conversations essentially <coughs> and say, look, whether you think the government should intervene or not, this is not right that this is happening. So it's a more it's a moral question rather than a legal question. Well, it no, could, I th- I think it could it should be, be a legal question. No, I think it should be a legal question. The reason being is that for us today, YouTube, Google, Facebook, and Twitter are all public forums. Absolutely, they've, they've become de facto public forums. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and I mean they they shouldn't really be. That's like that's like uh, having our courthouse be a be bought by the richest guy in town. Right. The courthouse should not be bought by the richest guy in town. Yeah, and I think what's important here is, and we, and when all these platforms came out, there were every really a lot of advocates for democracy were super excited, and then as time went on and like the like was added and um, all these different features were built into the platform too. Um, realistically, here um, build engagement and. Uh, this is where advertisers come in, market your product, because social media is a good way to catch up with your friends, but also a great way to see what's on the market. Um, that it started shaping how we perceive the world. Um, I know, for example, from a lot of studies that m- our generation, um, Gen, what are we, like Gen X? Gen Z. Gen Z. We're like the oldest of yeah, Gen Z. Yeah, we are, 90% of us get our news through social media. And if you've been a friend of Twitter for the past two years, you can see it's probably shaped how we talk about conver- political topics to a great extent. I, I was just out here on the Oval and this preacher was um, um, yeah, I going just on his sermon. Him. Yeah, yeah. And some, some, yeah, some guy who was must have been 
um, LGBTQ just yelled, bigot, hate, hate spreader. Oh, really? And, yeah, like, just really. And he's like, you're going to hell, damn you. And, like, was very aggressive. And I'm not going to say uh, that, you know, Tom was going to get that response regardless. But it is at least... Uh, I'd say telling on how people think they should have the conversations because that can that to me sounded like a tweet that someone would just write out. It increases <laughs> Damn. the Damn. social distance yeah. between yeah. you and someone else, and it conditions us to not have uh, civil conversations on things we disagree with. Yeah, and on social media, it certainly is a lot easier to have an uncivil conversation than it is in real life. Uh, in real life, there's. There's um, always the threat of violence, bro. You gotta yeah, be civil. But, but also, you see the person's emotions. And you and humanize you, them. Yeah. Right. So you're able to actually understand from their tone of voice, too, and, and how they speak. And, and what, there, what there's other saying. people there, and it's a real-life confrontation, whereas if you're online, then really the whole nature of the conversation has changed, and you can argue from complete safety whether that's social or physical, not that anyone is gonna attack anybody. Yeah. But you really have that complete safety when you're sitting in your home on your computer. Yeah. So, okay, so if you guys like your privacy so much, I, I know uh, Tom here, he values his privacy quite a bit. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, so I mean, why, don't you use, um, why don't you use search engines like DuckDuckGo that does not monitor your, your search history and does not, um, therefore, then send you effective advertisements? <laughs> well... If you wouldn't mind me answering really oh, quickly. Oh, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, think about it. Um, Google now has gotten so successful that they've built and I have a Chromebook right in front of me. And uh, its operating software, uh, along with Google Drive and everything else, has become essential for uh, my everyday um, life, for whether it be paying bills or being a student. Um, that's why I won't use DuckDuckGo. I already have the Google, the search engine. So if you're a consumer and you're looking at, oh, what am I going to use? I mean, we hear about Internet Explorer sucking. Well, I mean, why did you move to Chrome? Because it's quicker. Why do you think they've improved? I mean, among other things, they're going to get refine their search engine, and you're going to use their products. So I'm not going to, as a consumer, change my preferences just for privacy, even though I care a lot about it. Uh, I'd rather uh, try to read the bubble wrap text or, more often than not, not read the bubble wrap text and just take whatever risk it is. The risk for me right now isn't high. I don't know how my data is being used. So I think that... If you want to go off of that, Tom. Well, to be honest, whenever I do use Google, it's not really to um, search anything other than maybe a scholarly article for a class. So the truth wow. is, I don't really, I don't really, I don't really, you know, like use Google a lot. Is yeah. the truth. So uh, there's not really a lot of risk. Um, so I don't. I guess that's really all I could say about it. Is like you know, I'll use Google Scholar every once in a while. Or if somebody, you know, asks me a question, like... But uh, if, if, if there's something very sketchy that I want to search up, because oftentimes there is, being yeah. the eccentric person and... Uh, yes. Being the eccentric person that I am... Right. Um, I might use... I, I use Brave as a browser. I don't use Google Chrome. I don't use Firefox. Yeah. I, <coughs> uh, I use Brave, and they don't monitor your cookie. I think they don't right. monitor your cookies. And so, they have a built-in Tor feature as well. So that's the thing. If you... Like, a lot of us like edgy memes, Right. And somebody could take the fact that you looked up an edgy meme as evidence that you are evil or that you are this or that, and they could use that. Uh, and that's really not something you want people to know. It's like if somebody were to record 
uh, a conversation that you had with your friend in which you made uh, an offensive joke or something like that. You don't, even if you don't think people are going to use it, you wouldn't feel comfortable with somebody just recording that because essentially it leaves you on your back. So every, let's say, you know, I'll run into an edgy meme every once in a while and I'll laugh at it. I'll do that on something like um, iFunny or something like yeah. that. You know, but if I Google edgy memes and then, you know, God forbid, whoever Googles edgy memes, and then I look in the yeah. images and then I click on a certain image and Google knows that, I think to myself, well, I don't find it likely that they're going to be using it, but just like if somebody were to record me making a, an offensive joke and say tell me that they weren't going to use it, I still would not feel safe. And I don't think anybody would. And I think the truth is that a lot of us say things that we would not say uh, if we were in the public forum or if we were giving a speech before Congress. We all make edgy, mean... Uh, and a Locker lot of times, room jokes. Right, offensive, offensive jokes. And a lot of us find edgy memes funny. And I think it's a really big unspoken truth that nobody really wants to acknowledge that and instead... They prefer to malign and uh, tear apart people who get exposed, which ap happens obviously all too often where you have, uh, what's that guy's name from SNL who got fired? Shane McGillis? Shane McGillis. He yeah. gets fired recently because some stuff resurfaces. Okay, like what kind of stuff? A tweet resurfaces. Uh, so jokes in the about Asian stereotypes. Right. He jokes made, about Asian stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. He made jokes about Asian stereotypes, and then he, I think he did homophobic stuff or whatever. Okay, so he had those tweets, and those tweets were just in the past, that's all? Well, it, for him, I think it and was a recording. Video. There yeah, was there was a video. Podcast, actually. Yeah, there was a podcast, and then in the case of other people like Kevin Hart, there have been tweets. Mm -hmm. And so you see the problem here is that... Um, I mean, that's already public. That's not really an ethical issue, is that? Absolutely, yeah. Wait, how is that an ethical issue? Because they're... They've already said these things in public. Right. It's because people essentially can use that and take that out of context and then smear them, right? So, so just be careful. It got Shane McGillis fired. Yeah, it got uh, him fired. It got Kevin, Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart had to step right? down, right? So you have to be incredibly careful about what you're saying if you're online and even in a lot of cases if you're in private because people have the ability to record and put that online. Or even in individual chats. Uh, Kyle Kashuv was rejected from Harvard because yep. some edgy jokes and some bad words he said when he was 15 years old in a private group chat with his friends was published. And they were able to smear him for it. So really what you have here is this potential of, well, you got to be really careful because then they the get mob is going to dra drag you through it. How did they get access to that kid's information or so, that private chat? Did he become enemies with one of the people from that chat? Yes. I think one of his buddies. Um, his ex-buddy. His ex-buddy screen <laughs> screenshotted it and then sent it to them. Um, mm -hmm. So there really was... Um, there really is a lot of danger, and it's like, you know, who can you trust? Because people, it really is easy for people to smear you and ruin your entire career uh, just because you said this word or that. Uh, another example I'm thinking of is uh, back when people, I guess, didn't really uh, think about the consequences of the social media mob is back in, I want to say it was 2014, 
This girl was on a plane and she made a rather off-color joke about going to Africa and getting AIDS. And it became news before her plane even landed. No way. She was fired before her plane even landed. Wait, was was she a passenger? or? A yeah, she was a passenger on so the plane. She made the joke on social media. She made the joke online. on social media, right? Yeah. And then the social media... And someone mom, probably like, quote-tweeted them, right? right? And then they say, like, retweet this. And they, they tore her apart before her plane even landed. Amazing. Her whole career was ended in the, in the course of that little amount of time. And I'll say um, companies, uh, while maintaining that they're neutral to this uh, uh, and I mean other history shows otherwise um, if you look at uh, for example um, in, in just company training I worked in the food industry this summer and I've worked in the past three years and they incorporate this uh, words like microaggression and um, guidelines on hate speech and what's respectful and uh, what are the norms um, they they expound and teach you that these are in fact real things. Uh, I know from okay, but bullying is a real thing. Oh, absolutely. Microaggressions. I think it's just another word for like bullying. But what I'm saying is it's already in institutionalized. <laughs> like Condado, they said what a microaggression is, and if you do so at work, um, you you could face like punitive actions. You know, you could be reprimanded or you could be fired. Like it's already come that far in terms of I don't think I don't think microaggressions amount to bullying either because uh, in a lot of cases microaggressions amount to um, amount to small things that are said you a lot of times without people even knowing or acknowledging uh, or having any animus so you might accidentally say something that could be taken uh, as racist or sexist or something like that and that is to its more most extreme. Right, mm -hmm. you know, uh, bullying is more like you are actively trying to bother somebody, mm -hmm. you know. Should we care about what companies and what do you, should we care about what companies know? Yeah, about going, us? going back to the DNA example, they, you can have legal ramifications with your data. So uh, the Golden State Killer was a famous killer that uh, had a lot of murders and um, took a lot of the California's uh, law enforcement's time in tracking him down. And they finally got him uh, after comparing DNA, <clears throat> mind you, who's up at large for 32 years, uh, after comparing DNA to 23andMe website, they found a distant relative um, who was able to refer the law enforcement, California law enforcement, to the Golden State Killer. My God. So, Damn. if you think about it, privacy does have far-reaching implications, and um, as we so always it, know... Wouldn't that be good, like, to stop crime? Oh, absolutely, and there are wonderful applications for it, but the what I think we're all getting at is that we aren't having these conversations out in the open. People, like, we're just learning about this, but just seeing, like, how social media data can be used to lead elections... Uh, results or how it's used to um, establish certain norms. I know, for example, on campus, it's a trend that many conservatives, I think, rightly point to what is considered hate speech and what isn't. It's already had a real-life effect, and that's only just the surface of this conversation of privacy. Businesses profit off of it, but so can we as the consumer. Uh, we can ask, uh, I'm going to give my little yang spiel here just a little bit. One of his policy proposals is to make... Um, our intellectual data from our, our yeah information data from online uh, accounts, our online identities, part of um, our rights. So, for example, um, 
however much Facebook makes off of targeted ads from me, um, they they stand. It depends on who you are, but let's. I'm a college student. I uh, travel a lot. Um, my data is worth more, so people like me are five hundred dollars uh, ahead per six months uh, to Facebook. Whereas, what, like, what does that mean? Is it because you're you have a higher propensity to spend and purchase stuff off of Facebook ads? Yeah, like I'll be using. Or like you're a higher value Facebook customer. Uh, everything from my web traffic to my likes to the businesses I interact with. So. The Wi-Fi connect whatever uh, the whole of the data that they can collect and use for targeted ads and other purposes. I'm valued at about 500, and for a company executive who's traveling across the world, they're valued at thousands of dollars. And these companies make that much money to the tune of millions uh, a year. And the point is that um, we can uh, be we the consumer can get in on our uh, our value as um, data users. And the pot, the but that's why it's free, though. Uh, it's free because, like, you are the product. Well, absolutely, you are the product. So why not get a cut of it? Um, yeah, I it, mean, our, our cut is being able to use Facebook for they, free. They can make you more aware, but uh, I mean, I, I mean, have you to. Sign the terms I, and I do have to convince you that uh, of the millions they're making to show you how our data is. But it's, uh, it's, I, none of these examples we've just mentioned now convince you that maybe privacy is more important and maybe is being overstepped by private institutions instead of governments like just in any respect think of the pre-existing conditions for Alzheimer's uh, if an insurance company were to hike your fee mm -hmm. so I mean I'm not saying uh, in vacuum we should just have it right away but I'm saying con in consideration uh, that's what the campaign says data is a human right um, and here they lay out very explicitly what that Actually, might yeah, like. I think I think honestly you do have a point because look hospitals they have uh, they still even though the hospital is a private company mm -hmm. they still have to abide by the HIPAA laws mm -hmm. they still Absolutely. have to abide by the laws that they can't share your information between hospitals yeah uh, or without the patient's consent yeah but with Facebook I mean you do consent to do you consent to your data being shared um, with Facebook, I've is um, it in the fine print? it's in the fine print, and I've just modified my settings to where um, it is the most limited amount of data they can get from me. And same with all my other social media websites. But still, if you're a, a, a um, inter IP provider, like there's ways internet that, service provider yeah, that is yeah, that's they, like your company like Spectrum, like mm -hmm. AT and T, like uh, Verizon, I think. Um, just so you're aware. There's there's even markets where like those those folks spectrum sell to social media just in another form they give the raw data that's not like curated per uh, Facebook's um, data collection systems so it's it's definitely interesting to see how they are um, making and justifiably because we clicked I agree um, millions uh, according to our internet data I I know a paper just came out came out I think. In um oh man it's a it's a prestigious research university but saying how our data is more valuable than oil and if you think about how much oil is it's usually considered the the finest and gold tier of industries uh, I found that super fascinating and riveting. Um, our data is worth more than oil. Yeah, I should. I'm gonna. Well, what do you mean by our, our data? Is it like social media data? Is it yeah. referring to? Uh, I think it means more than social media data. So like IP data, yeah. like everything. Our data is worth more. Let's look. Would you uh, get genetic tested? Oh, for sure. Um, 
Although, obviously, I want protections. And the, the thing is, what I'm getting at is that the protections aren't there. So you referred to HIPAA. Um, I was at the law school uh, for a seminar earlier this year, and it was about um, um, China's social incentive system. And they were talking about how information was gathered by the Chinese government to, you know, rank citizens on good and bad behavior. And he made a comparison that like was... They, they shame jaywalkers. They put, they put like, pictures or what's it called? Like, you know those moving billboards yeah. that are, like, actually TVs? They have that of jaywalkers, and they, like, they put your face over there, and they shame you publicly. Yeah. And it's bad. <laughs> yeah. And and if you're a bad person, they, you can get, like, and then, um, and then like twenty seconds later, yeah, on, and then like, they, airplane rides. And then 20 seconds later, I saw this one video that, like, uh, if you jaywalk, 20 seconds later, you're going to get fined. And you'll get, like, a text notification that it'll just deduct it from your bank account straight. <laughs> like, without even yeah. you having to pay. Like, yep. <laughs> so convenient. <laughs> I, didn't even ha- I didn't even have to worry about the ticket. But imagine that. Uh, I'd say, imagine with me a more, it's still a, perfect, a pretty nice society, but more dystopian in, in regards to how you're rated, what kind of score you get for whatever services you Isn't that consumer. your credit score? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have a credit score now, but what if you had uh, a, a civilian score for how you did elections, um, according to social media um, data? Or what if you had a consumer score, so retail uh, and food how industry? How likely you are to spend more money. Exactly. So, I mean, think about that. I, I could just imagine walking through a mall in... Uh, with the, all these systems in place, uh, Hollis- yo yo look, think yo think about it. Okay, Facebook has an app, or Facebook has facial recognition. Okay, we know that for for certain. Mm-hmm. Like it's able to tag people in photos. Mm-hmm. So what if you have like a glasses, or like a pair of glasses that allow you to determine the names of people uh, just from looking at them? Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. if you're able to determine the names of people, you can find out all the information. You can find out their, their career. You can find out who they're married to. You can find out, like, maybe diseases that mm-hmm. they have. If Absolutely. On, like, if, if that information is on social media, like, you can have, like, a Jarvis. You know what I'm talking about? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like from, a Jarvis Yeah, thing. from uh, Tony Stark's um, system where it basically does everything for Tony. Yeah, you're able to determine. And later turns into Ultron. <laughs> what? You spoil yeah. it for me. Dude. <laughs> it's crazy. Um. But what about, uh, don't you think a positive of it is, we, we were talking about crime, mm-hmm. and what about, like, for stopping terrorism, for example? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, think about that. What if using, like, Facebook's algorithms that can, like, trace down um, ISIS campaigns, they they work with law enforcement to find where these um, original posts came from, like, geographic position of those ISPs, um, and... Is that the right ISPs? Or yeah. IP, I mean, or IP addresses. Yo, there, yeah, my there, bad. Yeah, I switched that around. There was this one instance of this one uh, New Zealand guy. It was a long time ago. It was like 2014-ish. He tweeted. Uh, he, he tweeted something, and he was an ISIS guy, but he was from New Zealand, so he was white. Mm-hmm. And um, he had his location on while he tweeted, and his location... It showed him in in a, in a in a military base, so then like eight hours later they had to evacuate the place and that place got airstriked. And no, it's in the news, bro. See, like that's a see that's a great application. <laughs> uh, in like it should be used to whatever extent law enforcement, governments, or businesses can do it for the good. 
I just think that this conversation isn't had enough and people fundamentally misunderstand what it means to uh, sign away your privacy rights um, in a new age of information. <clears throat> well, you know, at, at the core of it though, them having our information is not that bad because what are they going to do with it? Okay, they're going to just be able to persuade us better to do certain actions such as vote one way or another or such as um, purchase a particular good or not, right? Uh-huh. So isn't that, it's, it's just a better form of rhetoric, better form of persuasion. So why is that something that we should be afraid of? Uh, well, I mean, think about it. If, if us as individuals, I mean, however you identify in your community or group, think about it. These are... There, I mean, if you believe anything, um, it's that humans are self-interested. And now where I know at least U.S. law identifies businesses as an individual. Legally, businesses are individuals. Think about these. How is a business, in, uh, I guess in a traditional sense, an, act, an, an actual individual? They have much more resources. I, I can't mobilize, for example, um, reporters or or um, my employees to to get whatever I need done if I'm ExxonMobil. They, they, ExxonMobil, one of the largest oil um, giants, um, fossil fuels industries, has a headquarters internationally that rivals that of small countries, like third world countries. All I'm saying is it, maybe we should care a little bit just because they can get whatever in, in the paradigm of power, they can get much more achieved that might not be in our interest and more in theirs. So, I mean, it. I think it's very important that uh, we have clear um, politics and elections, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Sensationalism sells, and it's already shaped how um, people report on day-to-day -day news. That's why so many people are apathetic uh, about politics. United, or U.S. citizens are apathetic about politics nowadays. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast. Uh, we brushed on many topics. Uh, in summary, we touched on how our data, uh, whether it be social media, genetic data, genetic data, um, or even browser data, can be used uh, for the good and against us. Uh, so, uh, yeah, mention it to a friend. Take a look at any one of the topics we brushed online. Do a quick Google search. Learn up on it. Um, I think that you'll find yourself uh, super excited and uh, invigorated to find out more and um, truly understand that uh, data is a, is a right. Is it a human right? Uh, we don't know yet. More free market. <laughs> More free market. Uh, until then, this, is, this has been three bucks, one mic. Uh, I'm Fahad. I'm Zane. I'm Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom had to bounce. So, um, yeah, take care. Yeah. Till next time.